I'm really excited. Um, we, we've got a GLS coming up, which is fantastic. But I just want to make another plug as well for Alpha course that starts in the uh, 6th of October. For anyone who's interested in asking questions about faith, that is the place to go. It's an absolutely brilliant one. One of the taglines that they use, one of the questions that they ask um, as an overriding thing, um, I don't know if it's up there, but it, the question is, is there more to life than this? And that's a great question. It's a great question for people who are seeking. It's a great question for people, you know, when you're sitting at your desk and you're just typing away and you just go, oh, gosh, is there more to life than this? It's actually a great question for us to ask uh, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're in that place, if you're, if you're you know, really seeking God for all that he has for you. That's a great question to ask. Is there more to life than this? And inevitably, the answer is always yes. There's always more. There's always more. And we, uh, we've been launching this kind of growing family campaign. I can't believe it's been running for six months, uh, which in some ways just feels like no time. In other ways, you know, we've come a long way since then. Uh, and, you know, it's absolutely brilliant, exciting changes. Um, but actually out of that, just launching the campaign, we've already started to see a kind of acceleration of growth. I want to read you something that's on the website, um, and you can check this out and, and all the other things that are on there, but let me just read this to you. This is from the Growing Family uh, Campaign update on the website. The need for more space has, become actual, has actually become critical. Our children's ministry is bursting with over 600 children on our books. That is ridiculous. The youth ministry is going from strength to strength with over 100 teenagers, and all this with no facilities to speak of. Our feed ministry is one of, if not the largest food bank in Hertfordshire, with over 120 clients a week. And our portable cabin is just not cutting it. Importantly, as, these, uh, as well as these very evident practical reasons for acting now, we believe that we have the green light from God. Indeed, the Holy Spirit has impressed upon us an enormous sense of urgency. You know, that's absolutely true. We're a growing church. We're a growing family. And, uh, in, you know, if anything... Uh, about the history and about the, uh, what's going on here before is a, is a kind of indication. When we moved into this building, I think we practically grew like 30% overnight. You know, and that, that, when we get the keys for that building, I'm speaking of faith and expectation, when we get the keys for that building, actually we can expect increasing growth. And that's part of the church we are. I'm looking out at you and just joyfully seeing a, you know, fewer empty seats than usual. This is fantastic what God is doing in this place. But you've got to understand and as excited and as encouraged and as enthusiastic as we are, in some ways, this is actually no surprise. You see, many, many years ago, 26 years ago or so, when Chris and Fliss were sitting in their lounge with a, a young lad called Sam, their son, obviously, and, uh, and I'm sure his wonderful sisters and their little uh, hamster called Freddie, actually God started speaking to them then when it was just the, the few of them to say, you are going to become a large and significant church. And for a few years, they looked a bit mental as they said, we're going to be a large and significant church when it was just the six or whatever it was of them. But yet they held to that. And they held to that promise. They held to that thing. But it's way more than just becoming a large and significant church. God also told them the reason why we were becoming a large and significant church. And the reason is we're phrasing it is this. God has seen fit to make us a large and significant church, that we would plant churches to reach the lost, that we would create ministries to serve those in need, and ultimately, that we would change the face of this nation. This is an exciting thing. This is his call on us, his purpose for us, and his desire of us. And this is what we are becoming. 
And that's what this sermon series is about, as we're just starting today. That we are talking about becoming. We're talking about the church that we're becoming. We're talking about the people that we're becoming. And for a lot of you, it'll be, what are you becoming as well? You know, and if you go right to Scripture, you know, God has, has spoken very clearly that actually as we become like Him, that's when the real uh, power kicks in. And that's what it is to be a disciple, is to become a follower of Jesus, to look to emanate and to be and to do what He does. And then there's one thing that the Bible says very clearly about um, disciples. Jesus left on this with Matthew 28 before he ascended to heaven. He said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. And he goes on. You know, as we make disciples, we equip them for the work of the ministry. And the work of the ministry isn't just what goes on in here, and a lot of us are called to you know, actively participate in certain things, and we're called to serve by all means. But actually, a lot of you have been called to go out into the world, and that's where the ministry really takes place, which is on the streets, in the workplace, in our neighborhoods, or with friends, with family. That's when the ministry, that's when God is at work. As John Wimber used to say, the media's on the streets. That's where there's real harvest to be had. And that's actually as we go out there, and we're going to the world bearing the light and the love of the one who first loved us. That you become salt and light to the world. You become a, uh, an, incredible, um, an incredibly powerful uh, catalyst in the world as you start to transform it from what it used to be to what it is becoming. You know, as disciples, we are learning to trust in God, to do what he asks of us, and to practice our God-given gifts. In the body of Christ and for the nation that so desperately needs good news. You know, we'll look at what discipleship is and, uh, and what a disciple is. I'll look at that in a few moments. <clears throat> but in short, a disciple is like a learner, a pupil. But more than just learning information and studying it, a disciple does, not just knows what their master knows, but does what their master does. They're an apprentice, a follower. A great example of this is um, uh, in a training hospital like a university hospital, or even um, in Potter's Bar, it's not too far away from here, we've got the Royal Veterinary College. Uh, I don't know if any of you saw that uh, series, Young Vets. We've got a few um, RVC college, uh, RVC people, uh, students in here. And one of them texts me, like, excitedly, you must watch this, you must watch this. Um, the interesting thing about that kind of medical student is that they can spend hours and hours and years in the classroom learning the interest and theory and idea. But it's always for a purpose. It's always for a purpose. It's their desire to transform, to help, to, to, to breathe life into something that may be otherwise dying. And actually there comes a point where they go, okay, enough of the classroom, I need to go and do the stuff. And so that's when they go into a hospital or into a veteran. Um, vet, veterinary, and they, they start to follow someone around. And then they start to participate. They start to actively you know, join in. And it's a bit nerve-wracking to start, to start with. But then they start to learn the ropes, and it becomes second nature for them. And that they may eventually go and do everything that they have been learning to do. I love that, because that's what we're passionate about. It's not just knowing Jesus, and not just knowing it, and it's a beautiful thing to know God. But it's about going and doing what he's called us to do. And that's why we are completely committed, not just to being disciples in this place, but to making disciples, followers of Jesus, so that we as a church may go and do what Jesus did, to reflect it, to model it. 
And at the same time, while we grow numerically and while we grow in size, then we may always keep our eyes fixed on the purpose that God has called us to do that for, to, to change the face of this nation. You know, because of that commitment and the fact that more and more people are joining us, and, and me, I have a nervous twitch, you know, of going, well, we're going to, you know, maybe one day 100 people will walk through the door. What are we going to do with them? And actually, it's a great, yeah, pray for them. That's a great one. Send them to Alpha. Absolutely, I, I totally agree with you. But actually, you know, if we're talking about discipleship, it's really impressed on our hearts to go, we need a clear path as to what that looks like, a clear path as to what discipleship looks like in Vineyard Church St. Albans. And this is what it looks like, connect groups. You know, those are real people in this church that are actively involved, that are actually serving, that are actually leading a connect group. And the interesting thing about that video, what I love about it is it shows the kind of Sunday morning, the buzz, the enjoyment of what we have when we come together and celebrate. But actually, this is the celebration of the week. There's, there's the element of teaching, we're growing together as a church, but the discipleship element, the growing together takes place in and out throughout the week as we connect with one another. You may remember the survey, if you're around in February, that we did uh, about life groups, and the results of the, the were absolutely clear. Basically, those who are attending life groups were absolutely thriving. They love being part of that community. They love learning. They love growing together. They love meeting in that place. But as we looked at these statistics, only 25% of us were actually going to a group. And actually, all the other people that said, we don't go to a group, and we said, well, what do, you, what do you feel like you're missing? What do you feel like you're lacking? Well, it came under two categories. And said, so we feel like we're lacking spiritual growth. <clears throat> and we feel like we're lacking meaningful relationships. And so we took that, we've been playing with it and thinking about it for a while. And that's when we came up with this idea of connect groups. You know, this is a place where we are, we're launching life groups as a connect group, as a safe place to connect with God, spiritual growth, and to connect with others, a place of meaningful relationships. You know, this is more than just a new name. This is us standing here and saying we're realigning connect groups, not just as a side ministry that you have the option of going to, but we're saying if you want to follow Jesus, if you want to do what Jesus does, if you want to go into the world and be dangerous, then discipleship is your route. And if you want to do discipleship in this church, that's where we're investing all our time, all our energy, all our efforts, and saying we are pouring into that. And as you connect into that place, that's when you can connect elsewhere. In short, we are passionate about you guys, you individuals, you as a church, us as a church, of becoming all that we were called to be, to go and do all that we were called to do. And so that's why we've been investing heavily into our overseers, and we've got some amazing overseers that oversee a number of groups, and we've been really working with them to simplify what it is to lead a group and to support them and create all the structures that they are fully connected into what the church has to offer. And more so, we've been investing in some amazing, awesome life group, formerly life group, and now connect group leaders, and really helping them. Uh, just be as effective and as, as, as on fire as they can be and connected and supported in all that they are doing. And so to find out more about Connect Groups, and we will be uh, talking a little bit more about this, but in short, after this sermon, go uh, out by the uh, Connect Group stand. Uh, Mark and someone else, Mel, I think, will be there. Pick up one of these brochures. There's <clears throat> more information in there and all the uh, details of the groups. Or go onto the website, you can go onto the church app as well on the 
smartphone, and we've got more details on there and that video as well. <clears throat> and for some of you, I've just got to put this out there now, for some of you, with the right support, you could easily lead a group. And if you're interested and you're, you know, you're willing to take that step, and I'm encouraging you to take that step, and to find out what that involves and to what teaching is available and to what training is available to you, then uh, just, uh, well, the, on the, uh, in the packs, there's a little form that says, um, you know, you'd like to lead a group. On the other side, that says if you'd like to find a group. So if you're not in a group yet and you don't know where to start, then just fill that form out and we'll help you connect. Wonderful. So to put it simply, if you want to become a disciple of Jesus in Vineyard, that's where we're saying it happens. In a connect group is where you need to be, a safe place to connect with God and connect with others. Over the next three weeks, we're going to be unpacking those three elements and what they look like in the form of discipleship um, and what it looks like in this church. But for now and for the rest of this, uh, this morning, what I want to talk about is being a disciple. And I want to go straight to uh, Mark 1, 14 to 20. So if you've got Bibles, if you haven't got a Bible, we'd love to give you one. Uh, just grab one from the welcome desk as you hand your Connect card in afterwards. Um, and let me just read this. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Jesus, and Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were on their boats mending their nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Okay, almost immediately in Mark's gospel, and in fact, the first words that Jesus says are, follow me, become my disciple. Now, the interesting thing is, is you know, actually in that time, no one, no rabbi, no teacher, no master went around looking and said, you follow me. It was a disciple's effort of going, please, please let me follow you, please let me follow you. But this wasn't just powerful for that. Actually, this is the start of a conversation that would not just change these guys' lives dramatically. But actually, this, what we're reading here, are the seeds, the start and the beginnings of becoming what the world will dramatically change from. It's a huge, huge um, passage with huge meaning. And I'm just going to literally skim across the top, and you can go away and, and read further into this. And what I want to do is draw uh, several Ds. I'm on the D day today. Um, we wanna, we wanna, we're going to see how this is different, how it's drastic, and how it's developmental. So first of all, how it's different. Mainly because of those words, the gospel and the kingdom of God. You see, verse 14 says this, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. Now the interesting thing is, is that the word gospel was never a religious word. In fact, what it did is referred to as uh, this announcement of great news, of great news that would bring joy. So uh, there's the, the gospel of Caesar Augustus when he was born and his coronation and all this story. It's quite a familiar word. But more so, this nation went to war. And then what would happen is, that, and they went to war and they won that war. A messenger, an evangelist, would come running back to the town, whether it's Athens or Sparta or whatever it was, and go, Good news, great news. We have won the war. We have been set free. We are slaves no more. 
We have fought and we have won. You see, that's the interesting difference. That's why the early church started to adopt that word. Because that's what we believe, is that actually it's nothing we do. A lot of religions say, this is what you need to do in order to be saved. This is the kind of checklist. This is some good advice as to how you live your life. If you follow Jesus, it's not a good advice. It's this is what I have done. It's good news. And Jesus has gone before us. He has won the war. We haven't even left our homes. He has won the war. And a messenger has come back and told us this is good news. We are no longer slaves. We are free. What God has accomplished, what God has done, was what God has done. He did it himself. You know, it's interesting. I, was, uh, I love going to the hairdresser um, because, you know, I look fantastic afterwards, basically. Uh, <laughs> that wasn't the reason. Um, I love going to the hairdresser because uh, I love sitting in a chair where the guy cannot move for as long as he's cut my hair, and I have a great opportunity to have a conversation with him. Now, don't get me wrong, I've been incredibly nervous, I still am a bit nervous about this, but I just know it's a brilliant opportunity that they are literally trapped. And so, um, and so I'm sitting there, and uh, I, I sat down, and the usual question, so what is it you do? I'm a pastor. Silence. And, um, and I just love that, and I just let that kind of sit for a few moments, and he was talking about it to me about his time in Cyprus and Ibiza, I think it was, sorry, and uh, how he went out there, cut hair, all this other stuff, really interesting. And, uh, and then he goes, so uh, when do your service times happen? No, when do your mass times happen? It's like, oh, uh, 9.30 and 11.30 on a Sunday morning? Oh, interesting. Like, oh, where's this going? And he said, well, you know, uh, so I asked him, I said, well, why do you ask? And he goes, well, my gran has told me I need to take communion. I was like, oh, okay, this is interesting. And, uh, just have, uh, and I, I really did, wasn't sure what that meant, to be honest, from a Catholic background. So I, I said, like, I'm really ignorant about this. What does that actually mean? And he goes, I don't know. Uh, and he goes, all I know is that I'm going to have to do it with a bunch of eight-year-olds, and I don't want to do that. And I just thought, oh, wow, okay. Where do you go from this? And I said, well, we don't, we don't do communion. What we do is we do baptism. And in fact, in December, we're going to have another uh, big baptism like we had last year, which was amazing. And I explained to him what baptism was. It's a kind of violent symbolism, a violent expression of decision that we've already made. That Christ has died for us. That he has paid the price. That he has won the war. And then he rose from the dead and came to life. And if we follow him in that, if we trust in him, if we hold on to him, we cling on to him, we follow him, become a disciple. Then actually what happens is we go through death. We die to our old selves. And then we come to life with him, that we may never fear death, that we may never be afraid of what the world has because we know that God has given us life. He can resurrect the dead. He can do anything. And I was telling him about this. And again, silence. I was like, oh, I preach too much. Okay, uh, that awkward silence for another minute or so. And then I suddenly realized that actually it wasn't just him that was silent. The whole hairdressers were silent. <laughs> I was like, oh boy. <laughs> God, Holy Spirit, blah, 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 tongues. And then he turned around and said something interesting. He goes, wow, I've never heard about it. I've never heard of it like that. That makes a lot of sense. I think I'll come to your church. I was like, oh, amazing. I say all that to say this. Are we clear of what the message is? Are we clear that it is good news? Are we, are we able to explain what good news is? You know, actually, good news is not good news unless you can explain it to the poor. It's got to be good news. You know, and, 
Actually, when we're around people, when we're around, you're talking about connect groups, when we're around people on a continual basis, you learn to see what that good news is. More so, you learn to receive that good news. And boy, do we need to keep on receiving it. There's a great uh, uh, Ephesians 1.6 in um, the King James Version. I'm not a great uh, advocate and, and quote. Mark would massively disagree with me with this. But I love this. It says, I am accepted in the beloved. I am accepted in the beloved. The wonderful, the glorious God that which we are speaking of has accepted me. If we were to get the gospel, if we were to get the good news, a lot of the issues, a lot of the concerns, a lot of the worries that we struggle with would be no more, would be irrelevant in light of the good news. And when we get the good news, then we can give, we can share, we can say, proclaim the good news. The, the next thing is a kingdom. This is still another difference. The time is coming, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. We were built to live in a perfect world where relationships were whole, psychologically perfect, socially perfect. And then and relationships with each other, relationships with God, always meant to be perfect because God was meant to be in charge. And what happened is we stepped in, we took over, and we said, no, we'll be in charge. And what happens is incredibly depressing. It says this, uh, I love this quote. Uh, the results that we became self-centered, the thing that destroys everything. There is nothing more depressing or more miserable than being self-centered, self-absorbed, and self-obsessed. Your life is run by questions like, how am I feeling? How am I doing? How are people treating me? Am I proving myself? Am I succeeding? Am I failing? Am I being treated justly? Oh my gosh, it comes all about us, and I am probably narcissistic to the nth degree, but so that's what I'm preaching this because I need to hear it. Um, <laughs> there is little more the psychologically and socially disintegrating than our self-centeredness when it becomes about us. You see, God isn't that way. God is meant to be king. And when God's king, when God's in charge, when God's master, he gives everything we need. You know, I, I love this. Um, you know, God, was, God calls us to participate. God calls us to go. God calls us to be effective. When we're going, when we're effective, we feel alive. And we're to go. And sometimes our prayer life is, God, 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 please, please, please. God, 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 please. And it just gets nowhere. And actually it reminds me of a time, well, a time every day, when I'm trying to brush Bella's teeth, my two-year-old daughter. Oh, my gosh. But gosh, gosh, please, please, Bella, please, let me brush your teeth. Please, please, stop running away. Stop hiding. Stop jumping in the chair. Please, let me brush your teeth. Let me brush your teeth. Let me brush your teeth. And she obviously fights, screams, and runs off. If you've got kids, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And then one day, the other day, this is absolutely mental, she turned around to me. She said, Daddy, Daddy, why don't you just ask? What, what do you say? In her two-year-old, she says, what, what do you say, Daddy? What do you say? Well, she totally loves her. I don't know, Bella. What do I say? Please, may I have a go? <laughs> I said, okay, Bella, please, may I have a go? Yes. <laughs> what? <laughs> Sometimes we're like that with God. God, 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 please, 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 please. Well, actually, we need to just go to God and go, God, I love what you're doing. Please, can I join in? Can I be a disciple? Thanks. <laughs> oh, and the invitation is always there. He always wants us to join in. It's his kingdom. Let him be, the char let him be in charge. Let him be the master. Let us join in. We all have a role to play. 
I'll just say this verse because it really hits at home. We are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. Okay, a couple of other things. Uh, Drastic. First of all, when Peter was called, when Simon, um, Simon, then known as Peter, and Andrew were called, Jesus says, follow me. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And then goes to James and he, and he called them and they left behind their father. Now interestingly, in this individualistic kind of culture, leaving behind our parents is no big deal, really. Hey, I've left home, woo, and mom's crying. I'm just like, ah, whatever, I'll be, I'll be back to visit. But actually, we're looking at as in this time, is that the family was the central point of everything. And so when Jesus said, come and follow me, leave your family behind, that was a huge ask. Let me put it in a different way. Leave your career. Leave your social life. I'm not telling you to do that. I'm just saying that's the burden. The thing that you hold most dearly the thing that is everything to you, the thing that you are putting all your time, all your energy, all your investment into, because that's what gives you significance. That's what gives you security. God is saying, no. Leave it behind. Jesus is saying, in order to resemble me, in order to please me, in order to serve me, to know me, I must become the passion of your life. Everything else needs to be rejigged to maximize your relationship with me. Everything else needs to come second. You know, most of, us, <laughs> most of us would not say we're greedy. We just kind of want to be rich enough to know that money doesn't buy happiness. <laughs> Jesus says, if anyone wants to have anything to do with me, you have to hate your father and mother, wife and children, brother and sister, and even your own life, or you cannot be my disciple. Ouch. That's a horrendous verse, not one I really wanted to say. But let me explain. He's not calling you to go around and hate your family and hate your life and hate that. I mean, that's completely contrary to the, what the Bible says. What he's saying is that comparatively, when someone looks at your life, when they look at how you love, how you serve, how you follow, how you surrender to God, that everything else, it's almost like you don't care about it because God is the number one major thing in your life. And that's a tough thing for us to hear in a culture where it's about what we want and what we do. You know, we actually, we know from the Gospels that, yes, these guys actually did go and fish again. They did see their family again. God didn't take it all away from them. But what has your heart? As Mark said it a few sermons ago, it's a question of priority. What has the top space in your life? And then, um, you know, in the, uh, oh, do I want to say that? I've run out of time. No, I won't. That's one thing. And then finally, uh, develop. Develop. It's a process. Verse 17 says this, come and follow me. I'm oh, sorry, I, I knew there was one thing I needed to say. I'm talking about connect groups. You know, maybe a midweek evening group is not necessarily the one that's going to work for you because of, you know, commitments. Uh, and yes, you need to think about priorities. But let me just uh, say this. You know, there are other ways of doing connect groups. A lot of us need to broaden our, uh, our horizon. We've not, you know, I've not said it, maybe. That's why. That actually, you know, there are other ways of connecting with other people. So we have extraordinary women on a Wednesday morning. For, for mums with, you know, even with uh, kids, there's a place where they can look off and there's a place you can connect and receive and grow. 
Uh, there's a business club, which is fantastic for people that are passionate and uh, you know, they, they really see their vocation to actually bring the kingdom into business, into the marketplace. And there's a business club run by Tim and Bruce where they meet together every, every few Fridays. And then throughout the week, there's an email chain that goes on where they're connecting to each other, encouraging, praying for one another, growing together. And there's a, there's a John and Emma Day who, do a, uh, who oversee. They've been trialing this idea of saying, well, it's hard with families. So why don't we get together on a Saturday morning, just around our house. And, and what we'll do is we'll have some worship, and then the dads will go in and learn and study and pray with one another, and then they'll come back out and look after the kids, while the mums go in and learn, study, and pray together, and they come back out and enjoy the rest of the time together. Uh, and actually, though, I mean, they've been testing it. It seems to be really successful and modern. I think what they do is, a, if you're interested in that, we'll probably do a, like a, a trial day where you can come along and see how that works, that you can do that again. There are lots of different ways of connecting. And so that, that's one of the things we explore. I won't be learning from that. And then finally, uh, develop. In a process, in verse 17, it says this, Come, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. Not all translations have that word become, but it's really important. That we are becoming fishers of men. You know, the emphasis on that is that it's a journey. It takes time. It's a process. You've got to start it, but you go on that journey. It doesn't say, come and learn, and I'll make you fishers of men. Bing, bang, bosh, there you go. Conference done, you're off. Okay, life sorted. No, it's more than that. It's a journey. It's a lifetime commitment of following Jesus, choosing to do that. We're encouraging one another in relationship. We're called for relationship. God has made us for relationship. He called us into relationship with him, which is already in the Trinity. We called us into his, and then we called us to be in relationship with other people. That's where that growth, that's where the ongoing growth takes place. But I love this. What does fishers of men look like? What does fishers of men well, there's a beautiful thing. In, the, um, in Hebrew uh, analogy, in Hebrew literature, in Hebrew mindset, the idea of a, a body of water, an ocean, a sea, or whatever it was, that kind of open water, that was often symbolic of darkness, of the enemy, of chaos. And actually, when Jesus said, I will make you become fishers of men, he says, I'm going to train you I'm going to equip you. I'm going to teach you everything you need to do and need to know in order to reach down into that darkness and draw people out of that darkness and bring them into the light. You are becoming fishers of men. You are drawing people out of darkness into the light. This is something you don't just learn in one go. This is something you didn't process with. And as I said, you know, I felt nervous when I started going to the hairdressers and knowing that I wanted to have those conversations, but over time it gets easier as you learn it. Actually, the other day I, was, um, I went to Starbucks in the evening, and it was one of those nights I actually went to Starbucks to escape, the last thing I wanted to do was talk to someone. And then, uh, and then the lady behind the counter had a bandage on her hand, and I thought, oh, well, there's a big green light for God to say, go, pray for the woman. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I'm a bit more willing than that. And so, uh, I, uh, so I, I ordered my massive hot chocolate, and I said, do you mind if I pray for you? And she goes, yeah, sure, why not? And so I pray for her. I forgot to ask her what it was. And I just said, Lord, just heal it, you know, whatever it is. And, um, and just bless her. And Father, I just command that to be healed in the name of Jesus. How are you feeling? She goes, oh, well, I, I burnt it a little while ago. And it's been, in, it's been in a lot of pain, but the pain seems to have gone. It's just a tingling now. I was like, wow, that's awesome. So I got talking to her and I said, well, 
you know, well, basically, a long story short, I started talking to her, and she, has, she used to go to church. We had some really bad experiences. And so she started to believe all these lies about herself, lies about Jesus, lies about the church. But inside, there was this thing of going, no, no, I know that God's better than this. And I was able just to stand there, and just for three minutes or so, just to confirm to her that that is absolutely true, that God is better than that. That God loves her, that God loves her passion. God loves all that she is and all that she's becoming. And when she started to pour her heart out about how she loves doing youth work, I said, we've got a fantastic youth work. Come and be involved. She said, I think I will. I'll come and check it out. She was living in darkness. A wonderful girl, beautiful girl, but living in darkness, believing lies, and actually just having that opportunity to bring her out of darkness. Would not have been able to do that if I hadn't been practicing and trying and experiencing that. Okay, um, I'm running out of time. Let me just finish with this. Satan does not care how much you theorize about Christianity. What he, really, what he absolutely wheezes pants of is when you start practicing it, when you start doing the stuff. That's when he panics. That's when panic ensues. That's when you start to find things a little bit more difficult. There's a great analogy. I love this. Uh, uh, whatever his name is from Causeway Coast, Alan Scott. He said, you know, sometimes we look at a situation and, uh, you know, and, and it, it scares us. But it kind of reminds me of a, a big harvest field. And he says, you know, you look at it, and, you, and crows will look at it, and they see a scarecrow, and they get afraid. And actually, really, if you looked at it, you'll go, that's not even real. That's, that's silly. And actually, that's just a big advertising sign to say that that's hiding something. And that's where we should be going, because that's where the fruit is. And so we can talk, and we can think, and we can theorize about Christianity all our lives, but it's actually when we start going and doing the stuff does life get real and does life get exciting? And that's what we're called to be, is disciples. When Jesus called James and, uh, and John to leave their father, to leave their boat, you've got to understand Jesus already did that. You see, he left his father in heaven and came to earth. He left everything he held dearly to come for us. We need to leave everything we hold dearly. We need to surrender that. Because God is training us, God is equipping us, God is working in us a good thing, good news. The kingdom of God was going to break through as we go out into the world and bear the light and the love of Christ. And we will see fruit. And we will see more fruit. And we will see more fruit. So that we wouldn't just fill these chairs with people, but that we would fill them and make them into disciples, followers of Jesus. That we may not just become a large and significant church, but we will become a large and significant church that will change the face of this nation. Amen? Amen. Would you guys stand? Would the band come back up, please? Let me just pray. I love what Bill Hybels says, Lord, and he says that the local church is the hope of the world. In fact, you know, whenever there's a study or look at a revival, when revival hits, revival doesn't take place. Sorry, revival starts and only takes place in the church. It only comes through the church. It only comes through your people. And it says we, the church, focus all our eyes, all our attention, all our hearts, minds, bodies, souls on you 
and becoming like you and doing what you did, that's when we start to see fruit. That's when we start to see life. That's when, Lord God, that you can have your way, when your kingdom can come, when your will will be done. And Father, I pray, I ask, as you are in charge, as you are the master, as you are the king, that we would just come and long and say, God, may we have a go? May we join in? And the answer is always yes. As we are going about the Father's business. So bless us, Lord Jesus, as a church, to move in your name with the power of your spirit and for your glory. And everyone said, Amen. Amen.